0: Hello and welcome to a Brave Space podcast with Dr. Meeks. My name is Chelsea Glasgow and I'm your host. And we are, of course, here with Dr. Catherine Meeks of the Absalom Jones Center for Racial Healing. How are you, Dr. Meeks?
1: I'm well. It's good to to hear you.
0: It is good to hear you as well. Listen, it's not only good to hear you, but it's also great um, that we have a special guest here today who is Bishop Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, a native of New York City from the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis. Um, if you guys have not heard of her, let me tell you just a little bit about the jewel that we have gracing us on our podcast today. Uh, Bishop Jennifer's ex- expertise includes historic preservation of religious buildings, stewardship and development, race and class reconciliation, and spiritual direction. If her name or title rings a bell, but you can't pinpoint the place, let me help you. Many of us know Bishop Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs as the trailblazer, who is the first Black woman to be elected a diocesan bishop in the Episcopal Church. Yes, we are so excited to have you. Welcome, Bishop Jennifer. How are you today?
2: I'm doing well, and I'm so glad to be with you today.
0: Yes, we are glad to have you as well. Listen, we're going to jump right in because we want to hear your story. Um, on this podcast, we are always encouraging bravery and courage, and we believe that your story depicts that in such a phenomenal way, um, and there's no better way that we will want to have that story shared than by you. So please, let's jump right on into it. Um How was it, uh, your journey to becoming the first Black woman to be elected as a diocesan bishop in the Episcopal Church? What did that journey look like?
2: The first thing I would say about that journey is that it is probably, it's a little less frequent now, but quite often that I think, I can't believe it happened here in Indiana (laughs) because this is not where I expected to be. I am a New Yorker through and through and have lived on the East Coast, West Coast, bouncing back and forth, and, you know, had been nurtured and mentored in many, many ways by some wonderful people in my life, both lay and ordained, um, had been ordained for quite some time when I was nominated to be Bishop of the Diocese of Indianapolis. And the one thing I've realized now that I've been here a while is that this is the place where it was most likely to happen in so many ways. And I think Indiana, you know, there are a lot of things you might think about it. <laughs> it's got a, it's got lots of different kinds of reputations, but um, they have been leading, in the, the Episcopal Church particularly, in so many firsts um, that this one, my election um, seems to be right in line with that. And uh, one of the ways I like to, To tell that story is that when I go to All Saints Church, which is in Indianapolis, the Episcopal Church of All Saints, I should say more properly, when I'm going up the nave to the high altar, I would pass over the stone that marks the place where the first woman was regularly ordained in the Episcopal Church, Jackie Means. Um, But it's also the place that where the first Black woman served as rector Nan Pete. And so there are those kinds of firsts. Um my predecessor, Kate Wainick, as one of the early women bishops, but this being also the place then for a woman to succeed a woman in episcopal leadership is another one of those yeah, there's something about the conversations here around women and race that I think have been a part of my
0: story here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's quite powerful. You know, um, one thing that I hear you saying is that, you know, um, there were so many firsts, right? Um, you know, the history you mentioned, Pete and and others. Here's my question to you. Um, how is it that we are in uh, 2021 and we're still experiencing first, especially when it comes to African-American women, Um, uh, accomplishing things and getting uh, different titles. I know, was it in 2016 that you became um, the bishop? I
2: was I was elected in 2016 and then consecrated and ordained in 2017, in, um, the very end of April 2017. But since then, you know, there, it's kind of been a, we've <laughs> had a little wave, a mini wave of Black women um, elected bishop. But um,
1: it was a long time to get to that first. And, and uh, let me just do a little uh, tiny commercial to say that all of you uh, will be together. I think it's the twenty seventh of October. That's when right. We're doing the webinar with all of the uh, diocesan uh, Black women bishops in the book that's coming out. That's uh, that's that right. I, Thank that you I, for that, The Band Whitney, of Sisterhood, Whitney which sister. is not. Yes. And that's I right. and I should go ahead and say I wrote yeah. the forward for it, so with with great that's right great it, it, which enthusiasm. Was story, yeah. <laughs> so so Bishop Jennifer, I I, I want to ask you how what's the what are, what are some of the challenges and how have you navigated them as you come into this role? And even though Indiana was. Um, fertile for this kind of thing. I know that people have to get used to uh, Black woman power. And so I would be interested to hear you talk about that a little bit.
2: Happy to do that. I would say it's, there's um, a sense of which that's always an evolving thing and an awareness that I live with most of the time. Most, you know, most days I'm just going around trying to be the best bishop I can be. And I'm blessed to have a diocese that was really clear that they wanted to elect me. And so there was a real mandate, I think. I was elected really early, overwhelmingly on the second ballot. And so um, on most days, there aren't too many challenges beyond the challenges of trying to lead in the midst of a pandemic and political and racial strife while Christianity as an institution is you know decaying, right? So there's all of that, and you put on top of that being a Black woman where I have to do my own internal spiritual work all the time to both um, use all of the gifts I've been given by God to, to lead strongly and then at some times to ask the question, are the ways in which I'm leading in these challenging times um, putting up a challenge for those who are receiving my leadership in any way. And is it because I'm a woman as a bishop in leadership? Is it because I'm a black woman? And where's when I do encounter resistance, sometimes those questions come to the fore and, and when they do, sometimes I will um, have to just call it and say it. So my, the clergy and lay leaders will, will, um, those who work closely in leadership in the diocese of Indianapolis know that we talk about race quite um, upfront and boldly all the time, not just the how do we dismantle systems of of white supremacy and anti-blackness. But, you know, um, if, if I feel like there's a racial dynamic happening in the room, I'm going to call it out and we're going to talk about it and not let it go because that just gets in the way. Of doing what we really need to do.
1: Yes, and I've I've had the wonderful joy of working with you from uh, before you became a bishop, and when you were still in the diocese of Chicago. And I know how important uh, justice, racial justice, and healing are for you. And I I know your um, your track record of trying to tell the best truth you can. And I'm I'm I want to just be on record appreciating that.
2: Well, it's a total mutual admiration society. The uh, the pilgrimage back in I guess that was 20 was that early
1: 2016. It it I so. um, awesome. yeah, it, yeah. I, I lose track of yeah. dates, but yeah, yeah like
2: spring of 20, 2016. So I I just remember bringing folks, or it could have been 2015, but bringing a group of folks from the anti-racism commission in Chicago and understanding not only how we could talk about this work um, in new ways, but to embed it as central to our, our Christian witness and faith. And so I've been a fan of Dr. Meeks ever since, and I've been delighted at how often you've been able to give up your time to come to Indiana, both in person and virtually, because, you know, all of this work is, I mean, we're trying to be beloved children of God leading authentically of as who we are and to be um, dismantling the systems that would denigrate that and to be doing it as a, a part of our faith journey and our formation and not just as a sideline to anything else we might
1: be about. It's it's too central. Absolutely. And Chelsea, I'm going to stop in a minute, but I have one more question.
2: <laughs> no, <please. laughs> this is how it goes
1: with us, Chelsea. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the, the, a minute ago, you talked about the the, the, some of the things that are the pandemic and all of that, and you said the decay, the decay that's happening in Christianity. I wonder if you could say a little more about a little more about that and how you how you think in terms of going forward that we can can be holding that up, addressing it, uh, seeing it as an invitation or what how how do we need to be trying to relate to that?
2: Sure, and I, I would to be clear, would say that Christianity itself is um, alive and well. Jesus reigns from the throne, but the institution of the Christian institutional church that's decaying. And and I will admit to I feel like there are more things I should be reading to understand this more fully. So I'm going to 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 be humble in in putting this forward. I think Dr. Mix, you might have a better answer to this, but. I can't help but think that there is some kind of relationship between the decay of of some of the institutions that have been too often serving to prop up systems of injustice and white supremacy that have not been serving us well. So as we are dismantling some of those systems, it's interesting to me that that um, Western Christian institutions in this country are also um, being threatened. Now, so are all other kinds of institutions too, but I don't think it's unrelated. And so I, I find some hope in that. Well, you know, um, the, the Episcopal Church needs to right size lots of mainline denominations. I think all of Christianity, denominational or not, are under some stress and strain because the way we've structured ourselves are perhaps not what God is calling us to be about right now. And so Letting it go it's it's painful and it's people it's you know worthy of grieving some of it and I think there's also opportunity to see what God is resurrecting in our midst if we would stop um, idolizing the externals and the structures and instead think about what we really need essentially to be faithfully serving and, and following Jesus in this time
1: and it really is an invitation to. Uh, interrogate ourselves at the deepest level, isn't it? And listen for answers, uh, uh, ask better questions and listen for the spirit's answers instead of just giving ourselves the, the, the answers we've given for centuries.
2: That's right. Yeah. You know, people in the Diocese of Indianapolis every now and again in various ways will say, Yeah, we've been doing this thing. I love my church, but honestly, I just want to be in a place where I could be real. (laughs) Like I'm tired of the charade and the facades and and those may not be exactly the words, but that's the sentiment that I hear expressed quite often. Um, We've been worn down by that and it's not who we're called to be essentially. So how about we figure out what that means together in a new way?
1: And, and, you know, um... Uh, Chelsea, just interrupt me in a minute and say, I got another question. But uh, the the truth of the matter is God already knows the truth about us. And so when we have all this pretense, it's just, a, it's really a joke because God already knows. And we're hiding out behind a whole bunch of things that really don't make a bit of sense and wonder who we think we're hiding from.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the church is, is, you know, probably appropriately anxious, but God is not anxious. That's right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's like, you have, you have work
1: out.
0: I'm just going to, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. All right, Chelsea, I'm going to be quiet. Oh
0: no, listen, I was just simply listening and gleaning. Um, I do have a question though, Bishop Jennifer, you, uh, illustrated that, hey, you know, God does have the answers. And if we were to, if we are as a church to just tap in um, to those answers, we will be walking more and living into what Dr. Meeks would call living into God's dream, right? Here's my question. Um, The question is, what does that look like to you? I know that the church doesn't look like what it has looked like, you know, for the last 20, 30, 50, 100 years. Right. But as we begin to walk into a future where we are prioritizing things like racial racial reconciliation and dismantling racism, as we walk into that future, what does that look like um for our churches and how does that look like for our leaders? What type of mindset do our leaders need to be equipped with to do the type of trailblazing you have done um to set different uh a different standard, a new standard um in the church? What does that look like?
2: Ooh, that's that, that's a a hard question for me to answer really because I think that's I mean, there's a lot in there. And I, I think there is probably a good dose of curiosity that's needed by everyone, but particularly folks who are in leadership, to not assume that we have everything figured out because we don't. And it, I mean, if we've not learned anything in the last year, uh, 18 months or so, it's that we, we need to be able to know how to take the next best step forward, being curious And open and looking in our looking looking ahead, but also looking to our periphery to see, you know, what is there, who is there, and whether those are people that we need to hear from and to be thinking about as we figure out what the next very next step forward is. But there's something about self awareness, holy curiosity, and a sense that there is the way forward is found not just by one person having it all figured out, but by trying to um, ask dis- different questions of those who are not the usual suspects, <laughs> who are out on the margins for whatever reason and to wonder about that and then to see what comes forth.
1: And it requires courage, doesn't it? To be willing to to take a chance that something will be born that we that we haven't seen before and we don't get to control and manage.
2: Right, right. And so I, <laughs> uh, Dr. Mix, I think there's something in those words, control and manage, that I think are just so pertinent right now. And I think part of the distress in the United States of America right now is that the vying for, for continued control and management is the thing that's... Um, Showing us up for um, you know the, the damaging dynamics that those things can bring, and when you don't share control and management, but folks are fighting for it um, and to hold on to it tightly, like any group that does that, strangles the life out of whatever it is they're trying to to um, to do. And so um, that whole control and management piece is something to be thinking about and thinking about it differently. But I. I don't know. I I think when we're in a time where there is so much that's at stake around our identity just as a people as you know I think it's not decided whether we're going to be a country or a people or a church that can actually hold together going forward. You know, do we value the relationships with one another over the control and management of the other? Do we I mean, you know, we've seen we've been living with dead centuries of what that looks like. So if you're trying to do something different, you know, do we want it bad enough? Because it takes, trying to be in real community, deep community, beloved community means that it's messy and it takes a long time. And it means saying, I'm sorry a lot with, and you've got to get over the, I don't ever need to apologize kind of thing. Like those dynamics that have been seen as strength. In previous times, you know, we need to reevaluate what a strong leadership looks like. And right now, it looks like being able to say, "I don't know, I was wrong. Let's back up. Who else do we need to hear from? Let's try again." And building trust with each other as we do that. A lot of humility necessary.
1: Absolutely, and we we have, and we and nobody has any corner on that market. It's the that that energy is out there for us to engage. And it takes the humility to be willing to, to, to engage it. And and I think you're so right that when we do, we can see the Spirit work in ways that amaze us, actually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's the one of the gifts of the church right now, for those who are able to understand a little bit of that, is to help us be brave and... <laughs> Being willing to see what might be possible, right? Like if you don't control, like there's, as you say, there is that courage that's necessary to be able to let go a little bit. Um, But there's so much good to be found there. And our tradition shows us that, scriptures will show that. And, you know, we've certainly seen when we've engineered things within an inch of its life, then something else that we never expected happens that really makes the moment. Like we know that's a thing. So how do we, how do we let, go a little bit. Now I'll say that there's a whole bunch of things that we're not talking about, which is, you know, we're in a time where we're all traumatized and it's harder to do all of that because when you've got generational trauma and lack of hope for what might be a sustainable future, holding on and having control becomes the uh, a real default. And so trying to um, provide an, an alternative way to live, I think is... A gift the church can give right now.
1: Yes, and I, I hope that the that I keep I keep holding up the the image of all of the the disarray, the chaos, the confusion can be seen as an invitation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: an invitation to reimagine, to reassess, to ask new questions, to. Of uh, just just all kinds of things and and if we can see it that way, perhaps we can live into some truth that would actually contribute to our salvation as a people, as a world,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I like that, absolutely. I've learned so much. Listen, I know I wasn't asking a lot of questions, but that is because I have been listening. I am so um, inspired and challenged to look at things differently, right? To look at the church uh, through a lens of more self-awareness, um, through a lens of uh, curiosity, um, and through a lens of being able to be strong enough and to have the courage enough to make apologies, to make statements that don't necessarily make everyone comfortable, um, but definitely will break that control, that that system of control, right? And instead, what I heard you say was one of the replacements for the control that we can replace is um, relationship, right? If we have relationships with people, we won't have to lead with fear um, we can lead with that curiosity with that seeing what people need and we can figure those things out based on uh, having a strong bond and relationship so thank you so much um, I, I hope was that pretty much what am I picking up what you're putting down Bishop Jennifer just let me know if I'm on it or if <laughs> yeah, I'm not no, that's it
1: no that's that is right <laughs> That is right on. Very well, and, and, and I and I love what you said earlier, Bishop Jennifer, that you know God is not anxious. God is. We can be chaotic and crazy. That does. That's not who God is. And so, if we can catch ourselves in the midst of our whatever is going on and realize that we're not God, and that God is available to us to to bring some rhyme and reason to our madness that that will help us out a lot too i think as as you said earlier
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, listen. Um, I am so again. Thank you so much, uh, Bishop Jennifer, for coming on and sharing with us your mindset and the and how you view and operate, um, in the church and as a person. We really appreciate that. And listen, um, I wanted to let our audience members know if you want to hear more of this conversation, uh, think of Bishop Jennifer Times Five. Right. We have, um, on. Please save the date for Wednesday, October 27th from 7 to 8, 15 p.m. We're having an online conversation with the first five Black women diocesan bishops, okay? And so they'll be discussing uh, their book called This Band of Sisterhood, Black Women Bishops on Race, Faith, and and the church. So that is something that you don't want to miss. This was just the tip of the iceberg. If you want to hear more tools, more resources, and more information about how these phenomenal um, African-American women got to the place to break the glass ceilings, um, and what was their mindset, and how did they process these things, and how did they continue to push past uh, tradition and set a new Path ablaze. If you want to hear that again, stay tuned uh, for Wednesday, October 27th um, at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. You can register for this event on our website along with many other events that we are hosting at the Center for Racial Healing.org. You can also stay connected with us on Instagram and Facebook, Center for Racial Healing. And please uh, stay connected and stay tuned for our next podcast. Do we have any last words, um, Dr. Meeks or Bishop Jennifer, that you want to share with our audience before we go?
1: I just want to thank Bishop Jennifer, not only for taking time out of this busy week to come and be with us, but for being the person that you are and standing in the world in the way you do. I, I deeply appreciate that. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to, to thank you all for this time the, it flew by um, so quickly and it make, made me realize how hungry I am for more of these conversations. And so I hope to be able to see you again soon here or in person, preferably, and to um, keep learning how to be brave together. But I will say, Dr. Meek, you have helped to change this church. We would not be here where we are without your leadership. So know that I am eternally grateful for your, your ministry and, and who you are as yourself. So thank you.
0: Yes. Well, thank you. Listen, I'm just blessed to be in the room with two, uh, phenomenal trailblazers. So thank you guys for being here. And again, um, to all of our listeners, stay tuned with us, stay updated with us on our website and our social media center for racial healing.org. And guess what? Until next time, remember to always be brave and tell the truth.